Good morning, and um, let me, uh, Dean led us earlier, and it was very helpful to understand this, but on Easter Sunday, when the church gathers, um, someone says, he is risen, and you respond by saying, he is risen indeed. Now, many of us don't come from Christian backgrounds or non-liturgical backgrounds, so we're kind of don't know how. Years ago, I called my mom on Easter Sunday. who's a delightful lady, 83 years old now. And she answered the phone on Easter Sunday and said, Mom, he is risen. And she said, you better believe it. <laughs> so, let's, so let's practice. He is risen. He is risen okay, good. You got it. So you better believe it. Yeah. <laughs> We're in John chapter 12 this morning as we think about the reality of Christ, his death and resurrection. And in John 12 and verse 27, the Lord says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The word for trouble means to be deeply shaken and agitated. Why was Christ, this Passion Week, deeply troubled and agitated? Why does Luke write this? Luke twenty-two forty-one says, And Christ withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed most earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Why was Christ troubled answer because he knew that the promise of God to present a lamb of God to take away the sin of the world was about to be fulfilled in his death upon the cross he would bear the sin of his people he would be the one who would fulfill the promises by his one high priestly act but there would be for a moment in time existentially a separation from the Father as he became our sin bearer. And so he said his heart, his life was troubled. And then verse 31 says this. Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now is the judgment on this worldly system. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Satan, the devil, the forces of darkness, the adversary, the accuser of the brethren, now he will be cast out. So, so what happened on the first Good Friday and the first Resurrection Sunday to bring this about? Answer, Christ gave his life for those who would trust him. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Christ would give his life. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this, verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, 
the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time now. Now, a ransom, redeemer, the one who would buy us back. But now is the time for the judgment on this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and following says this, And this ministry of reconciliation is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I say this morning, if you are a person who's never trusted in Christ, we plead with you, be reconciled to God only through the work of Christ, our sin bearer. Christ bore our sins. And his sacrifice, his words, his promises were validated. They were corroborated. They were confirmed. And they were verified by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If Christ be not risen, we have no hope. In Romans 1, Paul says, He was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. And so we celebrate gloriously the resurrection. Now this morning... I want to mention two consequences of the death and resurrection of Christ for us. Two consequences. There are more than two, but I want to mention two. Number one, the valid accusation, the valid accusation that is laid against us as someone whose sins are unforgiven is taken away and wiped out, taken away from the devil's hands. Abraham Maslow, the father of hierarchicalism, you probably studied him in sociology, made this statement. He said, when a man has only a hammer, eventually everything looks like a nail. You know, know, like Chuck E. Cheese, you know that game you play? When a man has a hammer, only a hammer, ultimately everything looks like a nail. See, the, 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 the the ultimate game plan of the devil is to accuse belittle and shame us accuse belittle and shame now he's got other game plans but that's his primary game plan accuse belittle and shame now i have enjoyed march madness in march madness there are some teams if you know basketball they 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 they, what they, call, they, they pack it in the paint Right under the goal. They just put all their big bodies in there and they throw elbows and they punch. And it, it, the game's not fun to watch. Think of people like you know, some Big Ten schools, Syracuse, people like that. <laughs> On the other hand, you've got some schools that spread it out and they, they set screens and they pass and it's fun to watch. It's, it's a, like a spring walk in, in the Glen. Think of Duke in North Carolina. So when you think of March Madness, you know, you think, think of just, I thought about this this morning, I was going, I was like, you know, March Madness, you have, especially those two teams, you have, you have 
ballet-like responses. You have coordination. You have beautiful colors. You have bands that play. It's my answer to Spoleto. <laughs> so just March Madness. But seriously, if you have a basketball team, you have a primary plan, whether it's packing the paint or shooting threes or whatever. The devil's plan is this. Listen, accusation, belittle, slander. The devil says, he says, you know, you're not good enough. The devil says, I can't believe you did it again. The devil says, you don't measure up to your own standards, much less the standards of the God who is. And he's right. The devil says, look at person blank. They're doing so much better than you are. In comparison, that's why Facebook is a horrible thing at times. Facebook is like Christmas letters. You know, Christmas letters, your friends write you and say, you know, my, my son is going to graduate summa cum laude at Harvard, and he is being considered for the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> my daughter is in the last secret, this is secret, but she's in the last research of curing cancer or taking calories out of chocolate, whichever one is more... And it's fun to see my wife when I can work time in where they're between her cover shoots for Vogue magazine. <laughs> and you go. See, nobody ever puts in Facebook or their Christmas letter, you know, this week I thought about ways to maliciously talk about my arrival in the office. And I was deeply humbled. This week, once again, I fell into a fit of temper. This week, once again, I fell into lust. But you know that you do. And the devil says, look, compare, listen. And so his primary, his hammer, accusation, belittlement, shame. And this is our response to that, if we're trusting in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2 Verse 13 and following, listen, or excuse me, Colossians 2. And you, you were dead in your trespasses or your shame. You felt abandoned. But God made you alive together with Christ. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Christ canceled our debt on the cross. And then verse 12 says this, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The resurrection validates the statements of Christ, the ministry of Christ, and it gives us hope. But as I read this and what, what, really, what really 
hits me. It's, it's not only have our sins been forgiven, but, but, but God is working in our lives. Not only are our sins wiped away, but we have been given the righteousness of Christ, or Christ's work upon the cross is applied to our account. See, it's one thing to have your sins forgiven and to go forward. Not only are our sins forgiven, but we are presented in Christ because his work on the cross fulfilled the demands of the law. Listen to this. This is, this is one of the early sermons in Acts. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Peter says, repent, therefore, based upon Christ and his resurrection, repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. They would write with ink on a, a piece of papyrus and you could blot it out if you did it in the first few minutes. He says your sins are just wiped away. The slate is clean. But listen. And, blot it out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, not, not only are sins blotted out, but times of refreshing come. Are you experiencing Christ follower times of refreshing because you understand the wonder of Christ and his work on the cross for you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or, or go back to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says this. I think I have it up here. Listen. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. See, not only, not only has he delivered us, but he's transferred us. Not only are our sins forgiven, but we are in Christ. Or the next passage, Colossians 1.22, says this. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Not only are your sins forgiven, but, but you're, you're holy, blameless, and above reproach if you cling to Christ, if you believe in him by faith, if you continually glory in the cross. And all of this is validated by the work of Jesus on the cross. There is a wonderful book. I refer to this book frequently these series of books, the Chronicles of Narnia. It's the allegorical story of what Christ did for us. The first book, a little boy's been in league with the white witch representing evil. And Aslan, the lion who represents Christ, willingly gives himself so that this little boy named Edmund can be bought back from the clutches of the white witch. It's a wonderful statement. Let me just read this paragraph. So Aslan presents himself to be a sacrifice for the little boy. And he goes into the white witch and he's surrounded by her minions. And it's in the bulletin. It says, the, the fool, the white witch cried, the fool has come. Bind him fast. Lucy and Susan, two, of the little, the two little girls who were the sister of the little boy, held their breaths waiting for Aslan's roar and his spring upon his enemies, but it never came. Four hags, grinning and leering, yet also at first hanging back and half afraid of what they had to do had approached him. Bind him, I say, repeated the white witch. The hags made a dart at him and shrieked with triumph when they found that he made no resistance at all. 
Then others, evil dwarfs and apes, rushed in to help them, and between them they rolled the huge lion round on his back and tied all his four paws together, shouting and cheering as if they had done something brave. Though had the lion chosen, one of those paws could have been the death of them all. But he made no noise. Even when the enemy, straining and tugging, pulled the cord so tight that they cut into his flesh, then they began to drag him towards the stone table where he was sacrificed. Then he goes on the stone table, and the white witch whispers into his ear, And now, Aslan, who has won? Fool, did you think that by all this you would save the human traitor? Now I will kill you instead of him, as our pact was, and so the deep magic will be appeased. But, but when you are dead, what will prevent me from killing him as well? And who will take him out of my hand then? Understand that you have given me Narnia forever, and you have lost your own life, and you have not saved his in that knowledge despair and die. And she plunged the knife into his breast. Genesis 3.15, the first gospel promise. The Lord says to the serpent, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. On the cross, Christ crushed the head of Satan. All the promises are fulfilled in him, validated by the cross. Well, the rest of the story is Aslan breaks the stone table, and he attacks the white witch who is fighting with great glee and seemingly invincible victory over the forces of goodness and then Aslan shows up and this is what happens. I have this picture in my office. There's Aslan getting ready to decimate the white witch. And there's Peter, one of the children who've been fighting. And I thought many times, that is us looking up at Aslan as he attacks her. Christ is risen from the dead. This, the second consequence is Christ takes away the fear of death and living. The same word troubled is used earlier in, or later in, in John 14. Listen to John 14. 1. The same word is used. The same word, now my soul is troubled, deeply agitated. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Christ says, let not your heart be troubled. I just think, because Christ was troubled for us on the cross, I don't have to be troubled about death. Because Christ was troubled for us, I can say with the Apostle Paul, death for is your victory, grave for is your sting. We are all going to die. I'll make a, a bold prediction, bold prediction, akin to saying it's going to be humid in July in Charleston, or cold in Minneapolis in February. Okay, you ready? There are people sitting here today who will not be here next Easter. There are people sitting here today who will be dead next April. We face death. 
We face death every day. But, but because Christ was troubled for us, we don't have to be troubled about death. And then he says, he uses the same word in verse 27, where he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Because Christ was troubled for me when he died on the cross for my sins and rose victorious over death, I don't have to be ultimately troubled about daily living. Let me explain. All of us have thoughts. I do. Will I die a lingering, painful, slow death? What will happen to my children? What will happen to this country in 10, 15, 20? And you start thinking about those things and, and you get troubled, except when you step away and you say, you know, there's a great God whose name is Jesus. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. I watch over you. Let not your heart be troubled because there's a hope that is ours in light of the glory and the wonder and the grace of the cross. Um, he's risen. There's recently Hugo Chavez died, the Venezuelan leader for years. And in the immediate aftermath of his death, there was some confusion, and the, the man who was, who was vice president said, made a grand statement. He says, I want to propose that we specifically embalm the body of our leader and put him in a display so that our people can have him forever. Well, thankfully or whatever, unthankfully, they made the decision too late, and they said, well, we can't do it now because it's been several days, and we, the, the process is beyond going out. But, but I, th I thought about Alexander the Great, who conquered most of the known world. He died about 320 B.C., and they did a special embalming process to preserve his body forever. And eventually they built this incredibly beautiful, we are told, tomb in Alexandria. His body was encased in gold. They eventually took the gold and melted it down and encased it in, the, in a glass case so people could come by and see it. And eventually that tomb was destroyed by an earthquake and a tsunami. So we don't have the tomb today. But, but Augustus Caesar, the great Caesar, went to Alexandria and he, um, to win the favor of the people, he had the glass case removed and he bent down to pay homage to Alexander the Great and I guess his hand-eye coordination, his spatial thing was out of whack because as he bent down to, to kiss the forehead, he hit the nose and the nose fell off. That'd be very embarrassing, you know. He picked up. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I've got a picture here, if you can see it. I don't know how well it shows up. Yeah. Lenin's tomb. Moscow. You know, Lenin died in 1924. There's a, there's a, a service that keeps care, takes care of Lenin's body. It's called ritual service. This is what they do. 
They examine the body every Monday and Friday. They give it a weekly rub down with antibacterial solution. And every uh, 18 months, they give it a month-long beauty bath in potassium and glycerin. I don't think I'd want to work for ritual services. <laughs> but I, I remember that, that. You know, there's no tomb of Christ because he's risen. That's it. If there was a tomb, what we were doing right now would just be maybe a civic organization for people that like moral behavior. But because he's risen, we have a message to tell to the nations. We have a message to tell to our neighbors. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So on this Easter Sunday, go back, go back to the Acts passage. This is where the, there's this preaching regarding the resurrected Christ. In the early parts of Acts, they had the same. They said, you put Christ to death, but God raised him from the dead. You put Christ to death, but God raised him from the dead. And that's what Peter has just, he just had seen this, this man walk who's been lame from birth at the beautiful gate. And he says, you put Christ to death, but, but, but God raised him from the dead. And know that it's by faith in the name of this resurrected Savior that this man stands before you. And he says, repent Repent, therefore, and turn again. Repent, therefore. Why, re why do you repent? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Because Christ is a sin-bearing Savior. So you repent, and you turn, therefore, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. So just this morning... Are you trusting in the cross whether you are coming to Christ for the first time or you've been a believer for five decades? Are you continually, therefore, repenting, which is turning from sin, turning from self, turning from willful ways and going God's way? And as you do that, are you experiencing the refreshment that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus rich and alive in your hearts? So I, I would plead with you that if you're not, if you're someone who's, you haven't trusted Christ, you're, you're here today, I'm glad you're here. Listen, repent, which means to turn from your willful ways. Turn, turn, repent, therefore, repent based upon the cross and the empty tomb. Repent, therefore, and run to Christ and trust him. I, I say to all of us, I've been a Christian since 1973, oh, Repent me repent and turn continually and run to the cross glory in the cross so the times of refreshing may come from the lord as you understand your sins are blotted out blotted out rejoice in that let's pray we thank you O lord for this day of glory and celebration and wonder and we ask that this day your name would be honored among us Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us see the glory of Easter, Lord. Oh, don't let it just be part of the passing landscape. This just, let it be the central dynamite, the, the dynamo, the, the message of our lives, I pray, Lord. I pray we would continually repent and turn to you, the resurrected Christ, so that our sins may be blotted out and refreshment may come from you. 
whether we're doing that for the first time on this March 31st, 2013, or whether we continue to walk with you in the way of obedience, Jesus, may the gospel be rich in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.